Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. Every single one of us is as close to the Lord as we've chosen to be at this moment. I'm as close to Jesus as I've chosen to be. The Bible says when we draw near to God, what does he do? He draws near to us. He doesn't run away. He's not trying to get away from you. God don't play games. God's not playing peekaboo. You know, he's not hiding out from around corners. God's like, look, if you want me, oh, I want you so bad. You want to be close to me? I want to be close to you too. Are you as close as possible to the Lord? Most likely, if you're an honest person, the answer is no. Even if you're in a really good place in your relationship with him right now, purposefully spending time with him every chance you get, you would still have to say no. As we'll be reminded in today's message from Pastor Bill, the more intimate your relationship with Jesus, the more you realize just how far you still have to go and how little you truly know the unfathomable depths of who God is. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Numbers chapter 6 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. Look at Numbers chapter 6, starting at verse 1. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When either a man or woman consecrates an offering to take the vow of a Nazarite to separate himself to the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and similar drink. He shall drink neither vinegar made from wine nor vinegar made from similar drink. Neither shall he drink any grape juice nor eat fresh grapes or raisins. All the days of his separation, he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine from seed to skin. All the days of the vow of his separation, no razor shall come upon his head. Until the days are fulfilled for which he separated himself to the Lord, he shall be holy. Then he shall let the locks of his hair and his head, uh, the locks of the hair of his head grow. All the days of his separation, uh, all the days that he separates himself to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead body. He shall not make himself unclean, even for his father or mother, for his brother or sister when they die, because his separation to God is on his head. All the days of his separation, he shall be holy to the Lord. Okay, so this is a vow that men would take. Men, It says it could be a man or a woman. I thought that was interesting. And I, I learned that this go around. I never really paid attention to that before. There isn't, in scripture at least, there isn't any record of a woman having taken the vow of a Nazarite, but we know from Numbers chapter 6 that it could be a man, a man or a woman was able to take this vow. Now, this is what's sweet and important about this vow, and I will give us, I'm going to kind of, I'm going to blow through the chapter, but I'm going to move kind of fast through it, because there's a New Testament parallel to the vow of the Nazarite. And that's really where we want to put our focus. But I want to teach this first. So this is what was sweet about the Nazarite vow, right? All of the Levites were set apart to the Lord, right? They were all set apart for God, for his glory, for his service, all of them. But if someone said, now, in addition to what I already am, I want to take a further vow. I want to go a little further. I want to separate myself even further just for the purpose of being closer to the Lord holy to the Lord, they had the opportunity to do that. And this Nazarite vow was a way in which a person could say, I want to separate myself even further. And so this is a thought that I have and that's something I would encourage all of us to consider. 
that every single one of us is as close to the Lord as we've chosen to be at this moment. I'm as close to Jesus as I've chosen to be. The Bible says when we draw near to God, what does he do? He draws near to us. He doesn't run away. He's not trying to get away from you. God don't play games. God's not playing peekaboo. You know, he's not hiding out from around corners. God says, look, if you want me, oh, I want you so bad. You want to be close to me? I want to be close to you too. And so God said, when you draw near to me, I draw near to you. I believe that's why God has made so many provisions for our weaknesses. I said, you know, what's going to keep my people from me? They sin. They mess up all the time. I'm going to make it easy. He gives us 1 John 1, 9. God says, confess your sins to God. And he is faithful and just to do what? To forgive you and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. God says, I make it so easy for those kids of mine that be jacking up to come back to me. I leave my arms open. I leave it out there for him. And so uh, we know that we can we can draw near to him. We can spend as much time as a word. We can spend as much time in prayer. Um, we can spend as much time in his presence and fellowship. We we get to choose how we do that. And so I would challenge everybody to consider in your own life. And I don't know that anybody here would say, you know what? I'm close enough to the Lord right now. You know where I'm at right now. I don't I don't think I need to be any closer. I don't think anybody here is fool enough to say that. Um, most of us, even if you're doing pretty good, you know, even if you got a, a pretty rocking devotional life, prayer life, and you're walking pretty good, um, I think everybody would all, there, there's always going to be a sense that there's more to be had with the Lord. There's more available. There's more, there's deeper, there's further, there's more I could, there's more I could have with him. And so I leave us with that encouragement. We all can have more of him. We all can set aside, but notice how they were taught, right? Notice with this Nazarite vow, how do you get closer to God? Right through separation, separation from things that would get in the way. We're going to go through those things one by one. But the way that you were drawing near, how do I get really, really, really close to God? It's separating from my, myself from those things that would cause me to be distant, separating myself from other things that might pull away my attention, get my be, have me distracted or whatnot. So I want you to notice the things that a, someone that was going to take the vow of the Nazarite was told to separate themselves from. Look, look at verse three. Notice the first thing they were told to separate themselves from. He shall separate himself from wine or similar drink. Um, now, in their culture, wine was... Now, in our culture, it's not an uncommon thing for somebody to have a cup of wine. But in their culture, wine was even more prevalent than it is in our culture. Everybody drank wine with every meal in this culture. It was part of how the culture went. It would be like saying... If you really want to get close to the Lord, I'm, I want you to give up, you know, soda or tea. I mean, I don't know what I know. It might be like soda or tea that you you be the only one at the picnic. Everybody else got a Coca-Cola and a Sunkiss and a Sprite. And you're like, I just want to have water. You don't drink soda? No, I'm, I'm just separated from the Lord right now. It wouldn't be a bad. Some people here don't drink soda. And that's probably not a bad thing because we know soda bad for us. But I'm just trying to, you know, trying to show us what it might relate to. Right. It was a very common thing. So it would have been. It would have made a difference in your life. If you were taking a vow of the Nazarite, that means that every meal, when they gave out the food and they were, you'd have to, hey, I'm going to pass on that, that cup of wine. Why? Why, 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 won't you, why are you going to pass on that cup of wine? I'm, I'm separating myself. And this is interesting too, right? He says, no wine or similar drink. Um, so no wine or no other alcoholic beverage is what that means. Then he goes even further as you read it. Let's, let's read it. He goes even further beyond the, the wine and similar drink. Look at the second part of verse three. He shall drink neither vinegar made from wine nor vinegar made from similar drink, 
Neither shall he drink any grape juice, nor eat grapes or raisins. All the days of the separation, he shall eat nothing that is produced from the grapevine. I'm sorry, he shall, he shall, he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine. It says from seed to skin. And this is the point I would make here, right? God says, look, if I don't want you to drink. Just, I don't, just don't have nothing from the vine. Because you know what people do? People find a way around everything. I can't drink the wine. I'm going to give me a bag of them fermented grape stuff. And give me, catch me a buzz. I don't, I've, I've seen people that were in a, a, a women's men's home scenario where they were there to get away from alcohol and drugs. And they would get free products to help minister to the people. They get toothbrush and toothpastes and, and all these different things. And as I'm here at this men's home, they had taken all of the mouthwash and they have boxed it up and moved it out. I'm thinking, why the brothers can't have mouthwash? Y'all so restrictive around here. They were drinking it because there's alcohol content in mouthwash. So people was getting drunk with, with, with fresh breath. <laughs> so you, you normally you get drunk and you, you, you like, you smell the alcohol. This brother walk around smelling minty fresh, but he's just been drinking. He's been consuming alcohol. And you just, you just, God knows how people are. He knows you just, you just going just don't have nothing from the vine. There's a, there's a great application here, right? If there's something God says you can't have it, you, you probably shouldn't even be touching it. You, should, you probably shouldn't even be handling it. If you can't have it, if God says that's off limits, then you shouldn't be playing with it, right? God told Adam and Eve they couldn't eat of the tree of the fruit of the garden and Eve added, neither shall you touch it. I wonder if Adam didn't add that command. Just like, if you can't eat it, don't even touch it, girl. Don't even, don't, no need in you holding it and touching it and petting it and smelling it and getting a whiff of it. If you're not supposed to eat it, leave that thing hanging on the tree. Um, and it, it, you'll be okay. You'll be in better shape. Um, I tell couples that are dating, right? Well, what can we do? We want to do this in the Lord. We want to do it God's way. We want to make it to the altar without fornicating. This is what that's, that's God's way. So so what can we do? Can we, can we kiss? Can we touch? Can we pet? Can we turn? Bringing all this, this is good counsel. So if you're single and you're gonna get here one day, this is the best counsel. Don't touch it. Just save it, right? Because look, if you just don't touch it, right, at all. When I say don't touch it, I mean I mean a lot of things, but I'm at church, so you, you feel in the bank. Don't touch it, don't touch anything, just leave it be. Love each other, get to know each other, pray together, speed up the wedding date. Y'all know if people didn't do all that wedding dates, we wouldn't have an average two-year wait for a wedding. It'll be like three months. Brother would be like, I don't, how long is it going to take you to get a dress and your friends together? It'll be, we'll be getting married like that, you know? But it's just a good practice. If I can't, if we can't do it, we can't go there, probably good that we don't do all the things that lead up to that. That probably put us in a safe place. Kissing, touching, head, save all that. Once you get married, you're commanded to do as much of it as you can, as much as you can handle. So just, just hurry up and get married. And then have it then. So that's my counsel to all you single people that are not married, that will be married. Wait. And then after you get married, don't wait anymore. Amen. Moving on. So he said, look, you can't have the wine. Don't have the grape. Don't have the prune. Don't have the don't have. If he said from seed to skin, just don't have nothing from the grapevine. I don't want you intoxicated because you're going to be set apart for my service. And so back to our initial point is as God says, these people are going to be specially set apart. This vow the Nazarite, um, there were things that they were going to be told that they couldn't do. So one of them was alcohol. So we looked at that. Look at next. In verse five, it says all the days of the vow of his separation, no razor shall come upon his head. 
until the days are fulfilled for which he has separated himself to the Lord, he shall be holy. Then he shall let the locks of the hair of his head grow. So one of the things that would identify Nazarite, they would initially shave everything off and then they would not cut their hair. They would let it grow. And so, again, that's what we're most you know, familiar with Samson for that. There would be an initial hair shave and then there would be, okay, let, let it grow. And as your hair is growing, it's a, it's a, it's a sign of that commitment that you've made, that, that, you're, that you're in covenant. And then I was looking into the manners and customs about this. And it even went a little further than just letting the hair grow. The, the, the way that they interpreted this in that day and that culture was not even just that they were letting the hair grow. They weren't caring for it. It wasn't like, well, I'm going to let my hair grow long, but I'm going to spend a lot of time making sure that it's long, but it's luscious. You know, it wasn't like he was in there fixing his locks and he had them all perfectly plop, 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 plop. If the idea was, let it be. This season right now, you're not looking at, you're thinking about other things. Your focus is on other things other than your hair and how your hair looks. And so maybe that's why we don't have any record of a woman taking the Nazarite vow. I don't know, but I, that was my thought earlier. So uh, <laughs> I only see men having taken up this vow. I, don't, I can't find no women that did it. So that doesn't mean it didn't happen, though. I just, I just couldn't find any. So, but the hair was to be to grow. And again, it would be a sign of that relationship. And we'll come, we'll, Later on, we're going to go and look at the story of Samson. Um, and we see that that played a part in his life. You know, his hair was growing. Um, he was set apart from his mother's womb. And we'll we'll talk about that. Let's go through the rest of the prohibitions. And then I want to talk about some other aspects, aspects of the Nazarite vow. So no razor was to come upon his head. Verse six, all the days that he separates himself to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead body. He shall not make himself unclean, neither for his father or his mother, for his brother or his sister when they die, because the separation to his to God is on his head. All the days of his separation, he shall be holy to the Lord. So, again, in this culture, in this custom, if you touch the dead body, you were considered unclean, ceremonially unclean. You couldn't go before the Lord. You couldn't go into temple. You couldn't go in before the Lord to worship. You had to be made clean again. So while you were taking the Nazarite vow, you weren't to touch anything dead, any person dead. And here it says, even your own parents. Now, in our culture right now, I would venture to say, unless you work at a morgue, most of us here probably have a policy about not touching dead people anyway. Um, not, it's not really a big, if, for us, it wouldn't be like, I'm really, I'm really working hard to stay close to the Lord. I'm not touching anybody dead, you know. But in that culture, it was different. When people died, you touched them, you carried them, they prepared them. It was they're, they're dealing with death is very different than our dealing with. They didn't have a mortuary group to call to come get the body and the, you know make preparations and put it in the bag and take it to the place and prepare it. Y'all did that. The community did that. The people did that. So God said, when you're a Nazarite, you're not going to have a hand in that business of touching dead people or dead things whatsoever. Uh, even if it's your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, those uh, close, intimate relationships. And so, again, I look at that and I think, wow, how come? Like, what's the point of that? And again, it reminds me of something Jesus said in the New Testament. He said, any man that um, says, uh, now I, I, I should explain the word hate. I talked about this the other Sunday. But any man that doesn't hate mother, father, brother, sister, is not worthy of me. And the word hate that he used is not hatred like we think of hatred. It's loving less. That my love for God is so great it would seem like hatred where my family falls. Because many people can't serve God because their love for family or their love for their parents or their commitment to their parents, their concern for what family thinks is so big that it's bigger than what God thinks. And God says, you won't be able to follow me if there's something like that. 
fam family is holding that kind of place in your life, you won't be able to be a servant to me. You won't be able to be my disciple. And so here he says, look, for the purpose of being close to me, for the purpose of this vow, even if your parents die, right? Don't touch them. Don't touch anything dead. And the, the goal of all of this is in verse eight. All the days of his separation, he shall be holy to the Lord. Verse nine, he gives a, a, an example of what if someone dies next to you and falls on you? Like, so what if you're just out and about and your buddy is next to you and you guys are hanging out and he died and touched you on accident? God made a provision in case you accidentally touched a dead person. Verse nine. And if anyone dies very suddenly beside him and he defiles his consecrated head, then he shall shave his head on the day of its cleansing on the seventh day. He shall say, shave it. Then on the eighth day, he shall bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons, depending on his financial situation, to the priest, to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And the priest shall offer one as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering to, and make atonement for him because he sinned in regards to the courts. And he shall sanctify his head that same day. He shall consecrate to the Lord the days of his separation and bring a male lamb of his first year in a trespass offering, but the former days shall be lost because the, his separation was defiled. So basically, if a dead person accidentally touched him, he had to start all over again. So he had to go shave, uh, make a, make sacrifices, uh, be atoned for by the priest, and then he would start all over again. And I look at that and I think, but it wasn't even his fault. Like, somebody fell next to him dead, and it wasn't even his fault. And God... God says, look, it, it's, this is how you, it maybe wasn't your fault. Maybe you didn't know it was going to happen. So I made a provision for you to go get it right. Go get it right. I made a provision, right? What does this teach us? For those of us that are going to be separated. Now, these are dead bodies. Um, and I, we're not really dealing with that. But for those of us that are going to be separated in terms of separate from the things of this world to walk with the Lord, it'd be a good idea for you and I to be careful how much time you're spending around the spiritually dead. Who are the spiritually dead? The Bible says those who are not spiritually alive. If someone's not born again, guess what? They're spiritually dead. And you ought to be careful if you're someone that's spiritually alive and you find it comfortable, you find it enjoyable. If it's, if it's, your, if it's, if it's just normal for you to hang out with non-believers and, and you're not there on mission, right? I'm not talking about the person that says, I'm going to go hang out, but I'm on a mission. I'm going to go hang out and I'm a, I'm, I, 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 these guys still love me and I love them and I'm looking for opportunity to share the gospel. I'm not tempted to do the things that they're doing. I'm not getting caught up in it. Some people use that as an excuse to fall back. You know, I'm going to go try to be a witness. And so they're, they're going to the party and I'm going to just see if the Lord can use me there. And, you know, 10 minutes into the party, you're throwing your hands up and you got something in your hand. And, you, you know, you, you know, fell all the way back into where you started from. It's not for everybody. Right. Everybody's not ready to go back and witness to you know, whatever they came out of yet. And you need to pray about that. But you need to be careful. If you're a Christian and you find that, you know what? The majority of my friends are non-believers. I guarantee you there's either something wrong with, unless you're witnessing to them and that's the goal of the interaction. But if you, if you hang out primarily with people that don't know Christ and you're very comfortable in that setting, you might be dead yourself. Therefore, it's very comfortable. They're just like you have so much in common, rather be with them than be with some church folk who you have nothing in common with. You might still be spiritually dead, though you hang out at church here and there, or um, it, it's becoming something that's sucking you away. 
drawing you away. Maybe that's why you're not thriving in your walk with the Lord. Maybe that's why you're not moving forward in the way that the Lord would want you to move forward. Maybe that's what's holding you back is that while you're in your heart wanting to pursue the things of God, you got the children of Satan latched on to you like family members. So we should be careful about our interactions and dealing with those that are spiritually dead. The Bible warns as much. First Corinthians 15, 33, Paul says, do not be deceived. Evil company or bad company corrupts good morals or good character. Second Corinthians chapter six, verses 14 through 18, Paul again, don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Who said the rest? What did you say? Somebody said it. I'm not going to put you on the spot. All right. Don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And it says, for what fellowship has um, righteousness with lawlessness? And all these are rhetorical, no questions, nothing. What fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? Nothing. What communion has light with darkness? None. What accord has Christ with Balao or Satan? None. What part has a believer with an unbeliever? None. Then he says, um, and what agreement has the temple of God with idols? None. And it says, for you are the temple of the living God. What does that mean? You're the temple of the living. You're the house of God. God lives in you. You're the temple of the living God. It says, as God has said, I will dwell in them and I will be their God and they will be my people. And he says, therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. And I will receive you and I will be a father to you. And you should be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God almighty. So we want to be very careful in our interactions with those who don't know the Lord. This doesn't make us, this is, this is not in a pharisaical way. Oh, you don't know the Lord? Mm. I can't, mm. don't touch me. Not like that. Not, not in the, we need to love the world. We need to reach out to the world. You need to be so loving to the world. There's so many bad example Christians, but you need to be careful that you're not getting sucked back in. Um, example, when I first, first, first got saved, I was, you know, sometimes I was, I was a little, I was just doing very well and I was excited about my, my new walk with the Lord. But I got invited over to my old buddy's house and I'm like, man, I've known him since kindergarten. We like family. And I went over to his house and I said, I made a commitment in my mind. I said, I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to do the other stuff. I'm just going to go. I'm going to watch the game, maybe play some dominoes. Just going to go. I'm going to go kick it with my friends. And I got to the door and my unbelieving friend. Now, in the world, what he did was very calm, right? I had a favorite drink. He knew what my favorite drink was. Whenever I came into money, I had my normal drink that, you know, just day to day. But whenever I came up, I had my drink. Like this, I drink this when I made money. I had that. So when I got to the door, he showed up with that drink. He said, what's up? Whatever, whatever, whatever. And he said, bam, he put that down. And it was like, in the world, that was him saying, hey, love you, bro. I love you, man. I, I spent my money on your favorite drink. Come on in. That's how I got met at the door. And he wasn't doing anything wrong. He was loving me the way that we love each other in the world. And I remember sitting there and I know me. I know that if I drink, there's a list of other things that follow after. I don't just drink. So if I drink, there's a whole list of other things that are going to follow. And I remember sitting there thinking like, man, I haven't had a drink in this long. And I was really feeling good about the fact that I hadn't had a drink in that long. And I sat there and I was tempted very tempted. And this is before the cell phone era. My beeper went off. Beep, 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 beep. Took off my beeper. And I, I kind of lied my way out of it. You know, he didn't know I was no longer selling weed, but I wasn't. 
But I said, ooh, I gotta go get this. I'm gonna go get this, I'm gonna be back. And I'll be right back. And I remember getting in my car and Holy Spirit spoke to me, that you can't hang out with him and walk with me. You've been listening to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. As we study through the book of Numbers, do you relate to how the people wanted to rebel, complain, and doubt what God's doing? Throughout this book, it's easy to pick up on a theme that God doesn't look kindly at a rebellious spirit or behavior. However, he corrects the people in a way that causes them to come back to him with the right kind of heart. The lessons that he taught them are the same ones he teaches you today. He wants you to live fully for him, not just say one thing and do another. This means not going about your ministry complaining about the things that bother you. God wants you to be overflowing with gratitude for what he's doing in your life and to look back at the struggles and recognize that he was the one who got you through. Are you enjoying these things that you're gaining from the book of Numbers? Today's message is available to listen to again on our website at calvaryinglewood.org. Once you're there, just click on the teachings tab. Otherwise, feel free to download our mobile app to listen to more messages like this. Just search for Calvary Chapel Inglewood in your app store. If you're looking for a place to connect this weekend, we'd love for you to join us for church. Look on our website for the latest information on service times and locations. We're a group of people who love to learn from God's Word and be together as the family of God. Again, our website is calvaryinglewood.org. Thanks for tuning in to today's edition of A Transforming Word.